Hey there, listeners. This is Justin with a quick note before today's episode. Spotify recently allowed users to start leaving reviews for podcasts, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would consider listening to the show on Spotify, leaving us a positive review. I don't even think you have to write anything in. You just get a star rating and that's it. But uh, if you're willing to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Asir, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today is episode number 422, Creating a Culture with Barry Saltzman. I was on six to 10 airplanes every single week for consecutive weeks. So I literally woke up one day and said, I had enough. Don't want to travel anymore. It was, you know, too many years on the road. You know, the same hotel, the same airline, the same taxi. And what I really wanted to do, Justin, was I wanted to take what I learned in my corporate career and bring it to Chicago where I live. Well, longtime listeners know that normally on the show, I interview military veterans about their civilian career, who they are, what they've done, advice to others seeking to do the same. I sent out a survey last year. I appreciate all of you who completed that. And one of the questions I'd asked is the audience's willingness to start having on non-veterans who are experts in their space. And I appreciate those of you who gave an enthusiastic yes to that. It led to my conversation today with Barry, and I loved our conversation. I'll give context at the start of the interview, so I won't dive into that here. I took a lot of things away from our conversation, mainly about a deeper understanding of myself, what drives me, what are my strengths and weaknesses? And and as he puts it, I can be a hero or as a villain, what are the triggers that drive me in either of those directions? Um, So we talk about this, it's certainly applicable to self-knowledge, but we talk about it in the context of choosing the teams that you join, choosing choosing the teams that you build, the companies you build, the, the employees you hire. And I know that hiring and firing is not something we really have experience to in the military. So I thought that was very, very helpful. And he talks about having goals. He talks about being clear in what you want. So regardless of your career aspirations, Barry's got some great wisdom in here for for you. He talks about the why assessment, which is a five to six minute quick survey to help you understand those strengths and weaknesses. I'm doing that over the weekend. I'd encourage you to check that out as well. And there are those resources and more in the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org. Thank you for listening and enjoy today's episode. Here's Barry. Joining me today in Chicago, my guest is Barry Saltzman. Barry, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Thank you, Justin. I'm excited to be here and as always look forward to another good conversation. So I want to give listeners a very abbreviated version of your background, Barry, and then I'll give some context for how we got here. So uh, Barry is a senior executive with more than 30 years of global experience with strong leadership skills and deep subject matter expertise in both public and private companies. He has held positions at Global 100 Companies, innovative technology and service companies, industry-leading distributors, and software companies. As a hands-on leader throughout his career, he has guided global sales and business development, lead, uh, led and managed complex project teams, created high-quality service delivery frameworks, and served as a CEO in turnaround situations. So listeners, uh, background, Barry and I reconnected, and he has been a tremendous help with my company, Executive Presence. He's going to be on our board and has just been a wealth of knowledge for me. And so in our last conversation, I thought, man, I wish I would just record some of our conversations because I'm learning so much and I know our audience would as well. Barry, maybe to start things off, I know, know about 15 years ago, you made the decision you were going to stop traveling 
you were going to stop hiring employees, and you were going to focus specifically on companies in the Chicago area. What led to that shift? So it's funny, Justin, after you just read my bio and I, I listened to what I've done in my career, other than it makes me feel old, all of the work I did in the early part of my career, Justin, was a lot of travel. I spent many years in an international position where I, you know, I had the luxury and privilege of traveling around the world, working on large deals. I traveled a ton in the United States. And there was a point in my life, Justin, where I was on six to 10 airplanes every single week for consecutive weeks. So I literally woke up one day and said, I had enough. I don't want to travel anymore. It was you know, too many years on the road, the same hotel, the same airline, the same taxi. And what I really wanted to do, Justin, was I wanted to take what I learned in my corporate career and bring it to Chicago where I lived. And my ultimate goal was to help small companies and really make a difference. I thoroughly enjoyed my corporate experience because without that, I couldn't have been who I am today. But there's a huge difference when you work with a small company because you're literally changing their life. Whereas in a big company, I don't really think you're changing anyone's life. You're doing your job. You're helping the company grow. But it was just to make a real difference and to feel like you know everything I learned in the previous 20 years you know, could help companies that had similar challenges. I love that. I hadn't put it in that context before, but it's like when you're working with a small company, it really is intertwined with their life in a way that I don't think is necessarily true at like a massive corporation. And so I imagine it, the fulfillment of seeing the direct impact of your providing counsel and seeing how it affects someone in a, a smaller team and their families and their lives and their community. And that also makes me realize like the value of your focus on your local geographic area. These are your quote unquote neighbors and being able to see the impact you're having on your local community must be really fulfilling. Fulfilling. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And it's great when you reach out to someone three years later and you hear little stories of you did this and it helped them. And you know, when I was younger, when I had an ego, I wanted to be on the front page, right? I wanted it, I wanted to win the award. Now, you know, I'm like the last name that shows up on the at the end of the movie, you know, where it's like special thanks to and you get that little assist at the end. That's big for me is just to really make a difference in people's lives and help companies in my community. And that's what I plan on doing for the rest of my career. That's awesome. You know, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of seems like you work in in three different buckets. One is that you're a strategic consultant to small businesses, helping them grow and make money. A second bucket is around executive coaching. And I'm guessing with CEOs or leaders working with them one-on-one. And then a third one is more of behavioral assessment for companies specifically to help with recruiting and culture. So let me just start by asking, like, would you describe your work in those three buckets? And I'd also love for you to kind of expand on what those buckets represent. Yeah, no, Justin, that's a good description of the three different categories of services that I provide. You know, again, when I started Justin 16 years ago with my own business, my goal was to be a strategic consultant and advisor. And as I started working with companies, what I quickly realized was I'm really doing coaching. I'm spending a lot of time doing one-on-one work with folks. And earlier in my career, when I had bigger jobs and bigger responsibilities, I had the privilege of having an executive coach based out of Boston. And I spent about a year and a half with him, and it totally transformed my ability to succeed in the workplace and, and deal with people more effectively. So as I was doing more of my consulting, I was really kind of doing coaching, and then I decided to go deep into the coaching world. And then as I got deeper into the coaching world, what I really realized was I'm just dealing with people. Mm-hmm. And everything that I do, again, my business is mostly B2B. The industries I serve are typically professional services, technology. So 
It's all about people. I started to do some research on assessment tools. I got involved about seven, eight years ago with a variety of assessment tools. So my entire business today begins with an assessment of a person. And that's either part of a coaching engagement or part of a consulting relationship. Because my belief is, Justin, if you hired me to help you with something, how will I be able to give you effective recommendations if I don't really know you, mm. right? So, so the better I understand you and the quicker I understand you, the sooner I could deliver value. So the assessment tools became my foundation of everything to help me understand people. But I have some clients that only want to run assessments. I have some clients that I just do coaching with, and I have some clients I do consulting with, and then there's a handful that are involved in all three buckets. But everything begins and ends with helping me understand people. Because like a doctor, you'd hope when you go to a doctor and they give you a recommendation, they actually know something about you. So yeah, so those are the buckets. And um, that's really where I've been focused for the last few years. I respect the clients that work with you and do all three, because I see how it must be infinitely harder to do any one of those without the other two. I could see how they interplay with each other. I can see how if you're helping a company, you need to help the leader with their mindset and you need to understand the people as well. And so one thing that I particularly like about this assessment, which I'm not really familiar with, but it's I'm cognizant of how often when I give advice, I'm giving advice based on what I would need rather than a deep understanding of the person and what motivates them and how they're wired. Cause what works for me probably doesn't work for them, you know? And so much of advice is like, this is what I did. Therefore, this is what you should do. And so I really respect that desire to understand at a fundamental level, what makes someone who they are. And that's going to change the actions they need to take, the beliefs they need to shift, like everything about what will be required of them to succeed. Correct. And it also becomes an excellent tool for me to choose not to work with a particular company. So if I run the engagement and the, and the data comes back and tells me the person is of a particular type or kind, that might not be an environment that I want to spend my time and work in. So it, it becomes a nice little tool for me to disqualify the type of person I work with. And as you know, Justin, as you know, 90% of the people out there are awesome, right? Yeah. But there's some percentage of the people that are just, they're either not awesome or they don't match me well, right? Because mm -hmm. I have a style. You know, hey, I'm from New York. I'm pretty passionate about what I do. And if there's some people that can't handle my style, it's best for us not to engage in some type of a business relationship. I always relate this back to dating You know, a long time ago for me, but it's like you can meet... I love your, what you said. 90% of people are awesome. You can meet awesome people. That doesn't mean that you guys would be compatible for marriage. You know, it, like two awesome people doesn't make an awesome relationship. There's about complementariness or shared values and things in common and things that are different. And so I really like that as a filter for who you work with on a client level, who you hire, who you partner with as a as a co-founder. Like all of these things are about that dynamic. I want to come back to the the third bucket of of assessments, but I, I want to start with the executive coaching component. And I'm curious if, and it's okay if not, but I'm curious if in your work with leaders, have you found any trends in maybe mindsets that hold them back from growing or things that they struggle with or things that kind of keep them from scaling an organization to be what they want it to be? Or, or, or is it almost always they face different challenges? People are very complex, Justin. So every, everybody has two personalities. So we show up either as a hero or we show up as a villain. And regardless of what your personality traits are, we as human beings can control, believe it or not, we actually have the ability to control how we choose to show up at work. So based on a person's unique personality and style, 
from an executive coaching perspective is what I'm trying to gain an understanding of is what are the triggers to put that person in a, in a positive hero state of mind versus what are the triggers to put somebody into a negative or villain state of mind? So I will see people with similar traits, Justin. So I have some clients like I'll, I'll bring on a new client and he'll be exactly like an old client. And it's actually fun for me because I can predict how they're going to behave because there's not an unlimited amount of personality styles. Yeah. So the best leaders are the ones that are mindful and self-aware and understand their people, right? Then there's some leaders that are mindful. They could still be successful, but the enjoyment of the journey is not the same for the employees, right? So mindful leaders are understand themselves and understand their people. Doesn't mean you're going to be successful or self-aware. And in today's world, with the COVID situation we're dealing with, a lot of the people I'm talking to and working with are very frustrated spending their entire day talking to a computer screen. So in today's world, different than three years ago, the mental wellness is becoming a big issue because people are just getting burnt out staring at a screen all day, including myself. I'll spend five, six hours a day, seven hours sometimes just staring at the screen, talking to people on Zoom. While it's cool to see you, Justin, on the screen, it'd be so much more fun if I was sitting in a room with you and you could actually engage in you know, a different level of conversation. So I'm seeing that trend right now in the marketplace is just, just people are stressed out and frustrated not being able to go out and shake hands and you know have a cup of coffee with someone. I've been doing a lot of outreach here in Denver for the first time I've lived here for five years and reaching out to other CEOs. This predates our conversation, but it's in the exact same vein of like realizing like I want a community here. And the universal thing that you're describing, I, I've experienced, which is like this incredible hunger for meeting in person and for connection and for community. So it's interesting that you're saying that. One thing I wanted to unpack was I love how you said, you know, we show up as a hero or as a villain. I think that's an incredible point. But I, I found it even more interesting is like the sense that there are triggers that cause us to take one of those roles. And I'm, I'm guessing this applies at work, in life, in friendship, in relationship. Can you give examples of triggers that you found for clients that help shift them from the villain to the hero? Or is this is this like music? Is this like actions that they're taking that can kind of proactively shift them more to be the hero than the villain? Depending on the personality of an individual leader. So let's let's assume I have a leader I'm dealing with and he he has a very outgoing extroverted personality. He just loves to be with people, loves to engage in dialogue. So from a trigger perspective, high level of collaboration is going to bring out the best in him, right? So the, the more that I communicate, the more time that I spend with him, the more conversations we have, including other people, it's going to trigger happiness to him and he's going to come out and be the hero. If you take that same exact personality and you isolate him and you ignore him and you don't communicate to him, that's going to bring out his villain personality because he loves to be communicated to. And with an extroverted person, the, the villain behavior becomes sarcasm. So when I'm dealing with a leader who's extroverted and they start acting in a very sarcastic way, I know something's getting under their skin. You know, another example would be a dominant controlling personality who's very goal-oriented. A trigger for him would be delays, you know, taking too much time. So if I'm working with someone who's you know, an alpha personality, they want to get stuff done. If the process is moving slower, there's lots of delays, that's going to trigger his frustration and he'll become you know, outwardly aggressive. On the flip side, when I'm dealing with someone like that, the trigger for me is, hey, if we get this done quickly, think about how great your company could be and, and making it easy for him to move fast. So when you dig deeper into these personality traits, each individual trait has very, very specific things that can move them you know, positive or negative. And it's kind of fun for me because I know what they are 
And, you know, I kind of test them in conversation and you look for the body language response. And when you get one, you're like, all right, I got it. Let's keep this gentleman or this, 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 you know, lady in a, in a positive state of mind. I think this is so incredibly fascinating. I have over the last 10 years developed the belief that great leaders and great managers have that level of empathy and understanding of knowing what motivates people and knowing how to get that extra 10 or 20% out of a team member. What you just described that you're doing to me is a very rare skill. I want to preempt, I'm envisioning that some of our audience, maybe on active duty, might label it manipulation. And I, I can understand why they're saying that. And, and I think that for me, just something I want to name that I see in Barry's approach is how much of a gift it is. It's not manipulation in my view at all. How much of a gift it is to someone to understand what upsets them and what excites them and finding a way to shift things to make them happier, to make them more productive. And I really love what you're saying because it's not a one size fits all. It is really understanding like this person needs efficiency. Therefore, let's be efficient. You know, that's going to set them up to be happy and therefore successful. And the master skill it takes for you to understand what makes the person across from you unique and to understand how to tailor what you're doing to meet them. That's like a, that's an incredible skill. Yeah. Let me comment on your manipulation point. So if the intent of using this information was to, for me to gain and for you to lose, that would absolutely be manipulation. You know, the key is for the client to understand that the reason why I'm here, the only reason why I'm here is to serve you and to help you reach your goal. So what this allows me to do is quickly build a more trusting relationship because I'm able to speak to you in your specific language. I have another good example, Justin. This is a, this is a fun story of um, triggers, right? So here's a real world example. Two years ago, I'm working at a client and I'm standing up in front of the company during a company meeting and I was going to give out an award to a gentleman who just did an incredible job. So I announced his name. I'm like, you know, let's just say his name is John. Hey, John, congratulations. You did a great job. You know, please come up to the front. Here's a gift card and, you know, everybody cheers and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, here I am. I, you know, leave the meeting feeling like, hey, that was pretty cool. Just gave John some recognition. John proceeds to come into my office five minutes later, closes the door and says, don't ever do that to me again. And I'm thinking, oh no, what, what, what did I do? Like, what, you know, what, what did I, what did I do? You know, tell me more, John. Did I, did I offend you? Did I say something? And he goes, I'm a very introverted person and it embarrasses me when I get recognized publicly. So think about this, Justin. So the trigger was public recognition to an introverted person resulted in him literally shutting down and going into an incredibly negative state of mind. If I do the same exact thing to someone who's an extroverted guy, he's going to come up to the front of the room. He's going to jump and share and thank me and hug me. Hey, I love recognition. I love all the fame. So, and think about in the day-to-day workplace, how many times we mindlessly do stuff like that, that appears to be good, but on the other end, you could have offended someone. Now, because of my relationship with John, he was able to tell me that. Imagine if I didn't have a relationship with John, John could have sat in his corner and been dysfunctional for an entire day. I really like, and I don't know who to give attribution to you for this, but I heard a long time ago, the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The platinum rule is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. And what I'm realizing as you tell that story is if I you know, got publicly recognized and that was the, the reward, that would really fill me up. And that's my assumption that everyone is like that, which isn't true. Like, and if I really understood my team, 
I might know like, hey, Jane is going to be more pleased by being recognized in this way. And, you know, Tina is going to be recognized in this way and John in this way. And so it's understanding what they want and finding a way to give that that to them. I imagine that resonating with our audience because my experience with veterans is they are extremely human centric and leadership oriented. And that's that's very powerful. Yeah. And I do these little exercises with companies. I have a talk to me and an understand me exercise. And literally, Justin, I would say to you, how would you like me to approach you, Justin, if I feel that you could do a better job than you're doing today? How would you like me to approach you, right? What would you like me to say to you? So literally what I'm doing is I'm asking people very specific questions, listening carefully, and they're giving me instructions and permission on how to talk to them. I have no data to support this, but I'll say that 80% of the managers and leaders out there do not take the time to seek to understand how to talk to their people and yet they bark out orders and they wonder why they're not getting responses. So I've been doing this like really intensely for the last eight years. I've done over 4,000 assessments with people. So for me, it's just a blast once you get to know someone. And then once they tell you how to talk to them, guess what? Talk to them that way. And they're going to turn into a hero. It's, to me, it's pretty simple, but I know in the real world, it's, it's not that simple. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what's most embarrassing for me about having you say that just now is in my mind, I pictured you... And this, I'm sure this happens sometimes, but I pictured you kind of going into a room, interacting with someone, reading these subtle cues, constructing this image of who they are and therefore how you should act. And what you're saying, which seems so obvious, but didn't occur to me is like, just ask people, like get to know them, (laughs) ask them for their instruction manual of what, you know, how they wanted to be explained things. How do they want to be recognized? And I'm embarrassed that I went to the point of like, let me figure this out rather than let me just have a simple conversation with someone to learn from them how they want to be treated. Like that's, and I'm imagining that's what a lot of the role of this assessment is, is doing that, is extracting that information. Yeah. If you ask the right questions, you'll get the right answers. And then after a while, you start to pick up on little cues and body language thing. Again, much harder now in the in the video world. But when I'm in a room, I mean, you know, Justin, if you're in a room presenting and there's two people in the corner, you know, their heads down on their desk and they're, you know, doing, you could tell they're not interested. So there's definitely things we could do. And there's also words you could listen to, right? You know, listen to the adjectives and, you know, it's it's just fascinating if you ask good questions and just sit back and truly listen, like really listen, not like think about what you have to do in five minutes or the email that you forgot to send out. It'll just dramatically improve your relationships with people and just make professional life more enjoyable. It works on the personal life side, but you know, I don't touch the personal side. I'm focused on the business, but it's the same exact principle. Think about a spouse, a kid, a relative. It just makes life so much easier when you understand them and you talk to them in a way that they appreciate. I think that's so great. If you ask good questions and truly listen, I think one reason that resonates is I can relax into realizing like I am kind of already building this up into this master skill, which it is. And the simplicity of what you're saying is like at the heart of a lot of this is being curious and attentive and learning. That's something anyone can do. Anyone can ask questions. Anyone can listen. I don't think it's easy, but I think anyone can learn to do that. And that offload so much of what I was building this up to be, which is, you know, having to have, you know, I I know there is a knowledge component, obviously, but it's like people are teaching you and training you. I wanted to also dig more into this assessment aspect. One, because I honestly know very little. And two, you know, so much of our audience in the military, the one thing you don't get to do is choose your team. 
you know, at least my my perception and my experience in the military, you you are kind of given a team. You can't fire people. You can't hire new people. Like you kind of are given the resources you have to work with. And so I think it's really important for our community as you think of building companies and building, you know, leadership experience in the civilian workforce. That's a difference. And Barry, what you're describing seems like such a critical component of figuring out who to work with, who to hire, and who to to surround yourself with. Could you give a high level of what these assessments are, what they look like, and and some of the information they provide? Yeah, absolutely. So I use two different tools, Justin. One tool that I use, it's called the Y assessment. And the foundational principle of the Y assessment is to understand what your why is. And there's a very popular person out in the marketplace named Simon Sinek. He wrote a book called Start With Why, and he was talking more at the company level of, you know, why, you know, why do you exist? What's your purpose? So a gentleman took the Simon Sinek philosophy and turned it into an assessment tool to help us understand what is your why. So for me, in the why world, my why happens to be make sense. And when you dig deep into the make sense why, it basically says people like me love to solve complex problems and boil it down into some level of simplicity. So where I thrive and where I get the most career satisfaction is when I'm solving problems, right? So if you took me and put me in a corner office and gave me boring operational tasks to do eight hours a day, that would, not that I can't do it, not that I can't be successful at doing it, but it doesn't align to my why. So I'm not going to be passionate about it. It's not going to bring me happy, bring me happiness. So, so the why assessment is really a tool that I use. And it's almost to try and understand almost like the core DNA of a person. Like, you know, why do you do what you do? You know, what's important to you? And once I know that, I can guide them into the right career. I can guide them into a strategy for their business that resonates with who they are. I have a new coaching client. I just started with him, literally had my first call. I don't know him from a hole in the wall. I ran the why assessment on him and it came out as mastery. And everything that he does, he tries to like be the master. And what I noticed, and keep in mind, Justin, my first call with him, like 30 minutes into the call, I said, you know, there are other people with your profile and they spend all their time trying to perfect everything. And at some point you have to ask yourself, when is good enough, good enough? Like, when can I stop and move on? And he kind of chuckled. He goes, that's exactly me. He goes, I paralyzed myself trying to be perfect. That particular tool gave me the ability in one hour to give him some advice to not to change who he is, but just catch himself when he's becoming a little bit too mastery and move on to the next task. So that's one tool, which is the why tool. One thing I'm noticing as you describe this, one is incredible curiosity. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go and find this and take this. It, it feels like uncovering an operating manual for yourself. And I'm always intrigued by things that help me understand my behavior and what drives me. So as I think of taking this assessment, I start to get afraid, and this is probably more about my personality, but it's like, I get afraid of doing it wrong. I, I get afraid of like answering the questions wrong and then getting the wrong answer. Any advice for like just taking this or any assessment of like, you know, it's like, how do you relax and just kind of trust the process or not overthink things on these sorts of diagnostic assessments? Yeah, no, great question. And both of the tools that I use are very quick. They, it's literally five, six minutes to take the assessment. They're not complex questions with trick, you know, double negatives. It's just very simple stuff. What I say to people is just answer whatever comes to mind, right? Don't overthink it. And 90% of the time, the results are extremely accurate. If, if you want, you could not answer the questions. Honestly, it's obviously not going to describe you properly, but 
you can't manipulate the system to say, I want this result, therefore I'm going to answer the questions this way. That's impossible to do. So just whatever comes to mind, put down the first answer and don't overthink it. And people are just blown away. Like, wow, five minutes. It just gave me a 26-page report psychoanalyzing my personality. And to me, it's awesome. But I love the reaction of people when they're like, yep, this is me. Yep, this is me. Yep, this is me. I have another question, but I I would love to hear the the other tool first. So the other tool, and these two tools are complementary, right? So once I understand their why, that's kind of like, I almost think of that as the compass of where they want to go based on what's important to them. The second tool is called PREP, P-R-E-P. This tool has been around for 40 years, and this is a really deep dive into your, your behaviors of your personality. So what PREP will do is, again, five-minute assessment on the front end. It'll give us a 20-plus page report that will tell us how you communicate, how you solve problems. It'll also tell you what your triggers are, Justin, positive and negative. So you basically get that little operating manual that says, if I want to piss off Justin, here's what I could do, right? Or if I want to motivate Justin, here's what I can do. The one thing that I love about the prep tool, and it's similar to like Myers-Briggs and DISC and other tools, but the one big difference with this tool is it goes a little bit deeper into stress. So when you're taking the assessment, it's running the data through some stress modeling It's able to tell me with a high degree of accuracy how much stress a person's going through and how that person can adapt to change. So you might have the greatest personality in the world for a job, but you might have no capacity to handle any more change. I probably wouldn't put you on that next assignment. Whereas the next person might not have a great and perfect personality like you, but they've got a high capacity for change. They might be better suited. So the the prep tells me more about their personality, their predicted behaviors, and their stress. And then in the prep world, I can produce what's called a coaching guide, which then becomes the instruction manual on that individual. So the coaching guide is for the manager to use in working with their individual, and it literally becomes their instruction manual. And I tell young managers, just read what the report tells you. Here's how you communicate change to Sally. So so prep is really the deep dive with a lot of very advanced analytics, and why is more of the, the GPS of their purpose. So I use the two side by side, and they're very complimentary. That is that is fantastic. And for listeners in the resources at beyondtheinformed.org, I'll have links to all of these. The Why Assessment, Prep, Simon Sinek's book, which I uh, we've talked to his right-hand man we had on the show. We didn't get Simon, but I'll have a link to that episode as well. These tools are exceptional. And I remember, you know, when you and I uh, re-engaged recently, you sent me, I think you sent me your why assessment or you sent me one of these, I think, of just kind of saying like, hey, here's more, <laughs> more knowledge about who I am. As I think of building my company, it's so powerful to think of overtly putting these things out there to just say, this is a little bit of info about how I work. And, and that allows us as very different beings to better communicate and understand each other and motivate each other. And there's something profound about building an organization with these two pieces of information overtly shared. Yeah. And one of the things that I've learned with these tools, which is interesting, is many companies will ask me, you know, what's the best type of person for this job, for this company? Another way of looking at this, Justin, is depending on the stage of the company, right? So if you and I decided this afternoon, we're going to start up a new company, we're going to create a new product, we're going to take it to market. You need a very specific type of personality in the startup mode. You know, then as the company starts to grow, you bring in some customers, you need different types of personalities to put in process, to put in systems, to put in structure. As the company continues to grow, you need different personalities to do customer support, customer success. So it's almost like a three-dimensional chessboard. You know, you got to look at 
you know, the stages that the company's in, you got to look at the culture of the company, and then you got to look at what's the right profile for the individual. So it's more than just you run a report and I'm an extrovert. It's, it's try to make everything work. And when you get it right, it's really cool because then you get a company that's running at its full potential. And then when it's done wrong, what do you get? You get a lot of turnover. You get just, you know, you get a bad company, right? And it's just not fun to work at. So yeah, the tools are fabulous. It's just fun when you get the right mixture right and it works, it's fun. I think that's great. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I'm a big note taker. I, I wrote this down in our, our first conversation recently was you said something around it's shifting. So for listeners not familiar with the phrase, B2B is business to business versus there are companies that are B2C, business to consumer. There's self, you know, like Cliff Bar is B2C versus uh, Salesforce, which is software, which is B2B. They sell to businesses. And you had said something to the effect of it's not B2B anymore. It's H to H. It's human to human. I wanted to just ask you to expand on that because I think that's so profound and it does seem like this shift where it's not business to business. It is human to human. Like what's, where was that coming from? So to me, that's coming from, you know, it's again, it's people, right? So if, if your company and my company are going to do business together, it's not your company doing business with Saltzman Enterprise Group. It's me doing business with you. So in today's B2B market, it's really people doing business with other people that we trust and we like. How often have you heard the expression personal branding in the last three years, right? So it's, it's, so it's all about, you know, branding ourselves. To me, it's all about building trust and relationships with people. I'm a big fan of businesses marketing themselves as a business, but I'm also equally as big on humans got to market themselves to humans. So in, in our world, and you know this, Justin, better than anyone based on your business, LinkedIn is the platform where human-to-human interactions exist. If I want to talk to Justin, I'm connecting with Justin. If I connect to your business account, I'm not talking to you. So the human-to-human is really people do business with people. B2B just sounds cold to me, right? Business-to-business is cold. Human-to-human sounds warm. I've been talking that up to folks, and I strongly believe that people do business with people they like and trust, unless you have something that no one in the world has, right? If I'm the only one in the the world that makes a particular product, that's a different situation. But in our marketplace today, I mean, how many, you're in the Denver area, correct? How many lawyers are in Denver, right? Probably (laughs) thousands, right? Thousands, yeah. So for you to pick a lawyer for your business or for you personally, it's going to be based on trust and relationship with that person. So I think the HDH is the new way of doing business in the B2B world. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I'm also wanting to ask about, you know, you shared a piece of advice with me that has had a tremendous impact on what I'm doing. And I I wanted to to share some, you, you share some form of that with our audience. And essentially you had shared with me, you know, what I had written down in my notes as the skinny version of a product and the concept of using that skinny version as a Trojan horse. And I'm curious if you could expand on that because, you know, again, that has had an unspeakable amount of impact on me and what I'm doing right now. And I think others might be able to benefit from this concept as well. Yeah, no, it's a great question, Justin. So many years ago, you know, as I was going through some coaching discussions, I was talking to someone and he was, he, he had an incredible service that solved a real problem. He was incredibly bright with experience, but he was making no progress in his business. So we're talking and we're talking and it hit me. I'm like, I said, you know, I think what we need to do here is you need to come up with like a, you know, you call it a skinny version of your product. And then the word like Trojan horse just came out of my mouth. I said, you need to do like kind of like a Trojan horse. You need to deliver something that's really simple to understand. It's priced properly so that someone will buy it and it delivers some form of value. And if, because my, here was my belief, Justin, and it's the same belief I have for myself. If I can get into an account, 
I believe that I could add tremendous value, but it's really hard for me to get into an account if the person doesn't know me. So if I offer up to a client, my Trojan horse, which would be, hey, let's do a personality assessment. I'm, I'll spend an hour on the phone with you. I'll provide you with a 26-page report and three to five insights that I know will help you be more effective tomorrow. And I'll charge you $125. First off, if not willing to spend $125, then I shouldn't be wasting my time with them. Once I have that $125 transaction, my ability to go deeper into that account goes up exponentially. So that became the Trojan horse, which was something simple to understand for the buyer, something that's priced right so that they can just make a quick decision. It doesn't have to go through committees where I can deliver value immediately. It gets me in the door. And then once I'm in the door and I'm having relationship with the client, it gives me the ability to expand that. So regardless of what business you're in, there's always a Trojan horse you can create. A lot of people will spend days and weeks and months in the sales process. I'd rather give away a piece of my service at a lower price and add value than spend three weeks trying to close somebody. So any business, I've yet to come across a business where we couldn't at least come up with one simple Trojan horse idea. That advice is so powerful. And I'm, I'm just shocked that I never heard that before or thought of it or maybe heard it and didn't listen, it, listen to it. But it is... <laughs> Because I think what shifted for me is, and I think most most veterans listening to this, it's true to whatever you do. Like I know I add value. Like I know that I, you know, I really value my my clients, and so I know I will go to great lengths to be responsive and to make things work for them. But that's not the experience that most people in businesses have. Most people in businesses spend money and it doesn't work out. It's like smoke and mirrors. They buy one thing and doesn't actually do that. And so if you have a product or service where you're actually delivering value, the sooner that you can demonstrate that, the better. And like you said, get rid of this long drawn out sales process where you're trying to build trust, where you're trying to gain you know, maybe a lot of money and instead find like what's something you could do quickly at a lower cost to demonstrate like this is actually I and this concept is worth your time. And then you can grow into something that's bigger where you can add more value at, you know, usually at a higher cost because it takes higher cost to, to deliver that higher value. So I think there's just, that's just so profound and so, so practical for so many of our, our listeners. Yeah. And, and Justin, another key point on that is the Trojan horse cannot be given away for free because people will consume free stuff all day long. There needs to be a dollar associated with it. If someone's not willing to spend a small amount of money for something that adds value, what are your, what's your probability of selling them something for more money, right? It's just my, my simple way of thinking. So they have to write a check for something because once they write a check, then there's a commitment on their side to make it work as well. If it's free, it's like walking through Costco, you eat the free samples because they're free, right? But if they charge you 50 cent, you probably wouldn't eat the ones that you weren't interested in. And I think that's great too, because the the price in that way, the money that someone is making, it's less about the money you're making. It's more about the signal of commitment from the person spending it. And then also weeding out people who won't spend more because you know what that's not worth your time. It, it is that that Costco analogy is great because it's like, you know, there are people who will sit and take free samples all day long and you charge them <laughs> three cents and they wouldn't pay it. And it's like, well, that's not someone who's going to spend money on the actual product. So let's understand what they're really wanting. And three cents might be that that amount. I did want to ask about resources. And maybe I should label this section of the show. How are you going to cause me to spend money on books on Amazon? But I'm just curious, you know, based on the things that we've talked about, are there any resources you would recommend 
if people want to go deeper, if they want to learn more about leading leading in this way or personality assessments or or going deeper, where would you direct them? Yeah. So the fastest place to go is obviously to Google, right? So if there's something that you're interested in, you could always start with Google. I've been spending a lot of time in the last month on YouTube and I've almost become addicted to YouTube. So pretty much anything that I want to learn about, I just search in YouTube. There's always 50 or 100 videos that come up. And then what I do is I start watching multiple videos by different people to get different perspectives on a point, right? So again, if you think about sales or marketing, you can go to the library or the bookstore and there's 5,000 books on sales and 5,000 books on marketing. Read three or four of them, you want to get different perspectives. So, so Google and YouTube is a great place to go. Try to identify people that you connect with. Like, you know, I love listening to Simon Sinek. I love listening to Gary Vaynerchuk. I love listening to different people. And then you can find some podcasts. When I'm driving in the car, um, I'm always listening to podcasts. So start with a search, identify people that are experts in whatever you're trying to become more competent in and just start reading and listening to what they have to say. Some people like reading books. For me, I mean, I love reading books, Justin, but it just takes me so long to read a book. I could absorb content fast on YouTube and on a podcast. And then if I really, really want to go deep, then I might go to the book. I think that's such a fantastic, actionable piece of advice is, you know, consume a ton of content and quickly understand the people, like one, to get a, a rounded perspective on whatever the topic is, but two, to, to kind of identify the people for whatever reason, where their knowledge, their delivery, their format works for you. And one of the reasons I, th- I think that answer is so wise is that, you know, going back to this whole assessment thing, that learning style that you have may be different than mine. And so maybe you prefer people who use a lot of visuals in their videos and speak really quickly. And maybe I prefer people who are slower and more academic. Like there's no right or wrong there. And the great thing about the two channels in particular that you're pointing to, YouTube and podcasts, is there is no shortage of content. So, you know, it's just about finding the the particular flavor that works for each person. And then you can take a deeper dive and, and consume more of that person's online content and likely, you know, d- deeper written content and, and go deep on that person. So that's that's a fantastic answer. I know that we're at the end here and I just want to make, you know, a, a minute or two free at the end. Is there anything we haven't covered that you want to make sure you share with listeners? And the second part of that is where can people go to find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah. So on the first question, you know, I think it's important for people to really take a step back and think about what do they enjoy doing? What will get them excited to wake up in the morning? So it's established goals, right? Very clear goals on what do you want to do? What are you good at? Then go research what you want to do and then create an action plan to go get there. So a lot of companies and and a lot of individuals, they've got the action plan in place, but they haven't thought through they really want to do. So spend some time, do some soul searching, you know, what really gets you excited. The cool thing about the world for us right now, Justin, is there's so many companies that do so many things and there's so many jobs that are out there. Go find the job that makes you happy. Go do what really brings you joy and and satisfaction and go after it. So that's what I try to spend a lot of time with people, get them to think. So what do you really want to do? What do you like doing? What type of industry you're in. If I started my career all over now in the beginning, I accidentally got into technology. I accidentally got into management. But today, you know, if I started now, I might say, man, I want to be in the crypto industry. And I would just dive deep into it and study it and read about it and look for jobs in it. And But when I started as a young kid many years ago, I had no idea. It was like, yeah, computers seem cool. I'll, I'll do that. Think about what you really want to do. 
Regarding me, I have a website. The website is saltsmaneg.com. So www.saltsmaneg.com. And then anybody can email me directly at barry at saltsmaneg.com. I'm always happy to talk to people. I'm always happy to give advice and direction. So if there's anyone out there that just has a thought, an idea, wants another opinion, I've always got opinions. So feel free to reach out to me. I love it. And for those of you driving a submarine, flying a plane, operating a tank while listening to this, I'll put that all in the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org for Barry's website, his email, and all of that. Barry, thank you so much for your generosity of time and your willingness to share all of your advice, or not all of your advice, a fraction of your advice (laughs) in the time that we could fit it in today. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Justin. Have a wonderful weekend. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career in life.